This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Real Vision, we're closing the doors. But not how you might think. You see, this autumn we're launching the new Real Vision, a platform built around the universal truth that knowledge times tools times network equals success, your success. It's the biggest transformation in our history and brings together everything you need in your journey from information to knowledge to wisdom, all in one place. That's incredible AI, charting tools, networking, economic data, watch lists, notes, and a whole ton more. We start rolling out to our current members at the end of August. And from August the 15th, we're closing the doors to any new members while we focus on that. But you do have one final chance to get in that door. Until August the 15th, you can level up for a whole quarter of Real Vision just for the price of $20.14. When you go to realvision.com forward slash last chance, you'll see why we chose that price in particular. It's something about Real Vision of old. You'll get to experience the new platform before the general public with no obligation to stay after that three months and a price that works out for like $6 a month. It's what you call a no-brainer. Anyway, I hope to see you on Real Vision. It's an incredible community and my God, this new platform is going to be extraordinary and will change as many lives as possible. That's realvision.com forward slash last chance. All right, guys, maybe we can just get started and Raul can join us in process. We just sort of tee this up, talk a little bit about what we're going to be discussing here. Uh, as I said, if you've just joined us, uh, we're joined today by geopolitical expert D. Smith, Brent Johnson, of course, uh, the progenitor of the dollar milkshake theory, and David Matten, the mind behind the New World Same Humans newsletter to discuss some of the most important topics of our time, macro geopolitics and the role of AI. Obviously, it's a whole lot to talk about. Uh, guys, why don't we just go around the horn and introduce ourselves? I'm just going to go through in the order that I see you in here on my screen. Santiago, first to you. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Um, you just want me to introduce myself or what do you yeah, want me to do here? Yeah, just uh, introduce yeah. yourself if you would, and we're just go sure. around real quick and maybe say, uh, give us a little bit of a minute thumbnail. I'm sure most of the people uh, who are on sure. this Twitter spaces have heard of all of you guys and probably are following your work, but just in case there's someone new who might be joining. Sure. Uh, so my name is Brent Johnson. I've got a wealth management firm called Santiago Capital, where I manage money for a number of high net worth individuals and families. Um, you know, I've been doing it for almost 25 years and kind of really focus on the big picture and then kind of hone down from there. And as a result, I tend to look at things like, you know, currencies and monetary policy and interest rates and geopolitics and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, looking forward to this conversation and what everybody has to, to say. Thanks very much, Brent. Always a pleasure. Uh, David, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm just going to go read through on the order on my screen. David, you're up. Thanks, Ash. Hi there, everyone. Um, my name's David. As Ash uh, said, I write a newsletter on trends, technology, and our shared future called New World Same Humans. Um, when I'm not writing that newsletter, that goes to about 25,000 founders and technologists and policymakers and academics. 
when I'm not writing that, um, I spend a lot of time speaking to leaders inside large organizations, uh, corporations, government organizations about emerging technologies and what they mean for us all and how those organizations should respond. Um, and I write about emerging technologies in Rao's institutional newsletter, Global Macro Investor. So if there's any GMI readers uh, listening right now, they, they'll, they may recognize my name from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David. I'll go next time. Dee Smith, um, talking to you from Fort Worth, Texas, from a very warm Fort Worth, Texas, although not as bad as the last few days. I run a private intelligence uh, company that I founded uh, about 27 years ago. We work mostly for large investors, pension plans, hedge funds, venture capital, various kinds of family offices, um, uh, sovereign investors doing transactional intelligence, which ranges from looking at the targets of investment that they're um, uh, considering to looking at risk and threat factors from geopolitical to those associated with global change to um, looking at um, the kinds of problems that might not normally be in the in the straight line analysis of uh, of the kinds of, of analysis that investors do. Um, we uh, have also been uh, very active with Real Vision. I did a series called World on the Brink about six years yeah. ago and um, have done a number of things since then. Always a pleasure to, to work with my friends at Real Vision. Wonderful, wonderful, guys. Uh, so, listen, just a, a bit of uh, information for people who may not know. Uh, here's the deal. $20.14 for three months of Real Vision Essential. Uh, if you're interested so should one of us kick this in off? this conversation, can you guys hear me? Dee, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, so I think I think we just had a little bit of uh, trouble on the Twitter spaces. That happens from time to time. Is, uh, is Raul on? Raul is not yet here, uh, but he's going to be joining us in just one second. Um, you know, listen, I was as I was saying, right now we're in the middle of uh, this uh this promotion at Real Vision, $20.14 for three months of Real Vision Essential. I think that works out to something like six bucks a month. Uh, so basically, obviously a very low price for the content that Dee was just talking about. Uh, obviously, Santiago has been on the platform. Uh, David? Well, I'll take the lead. Um, just wondering what everyone's thoughts are on the concatenation of events that we've, we're seeing this year, which seems to be ever intensifying on across so many fronts from foreign policy and international relations to unexpected economic elements to climate change to supply issues that don't seem to go away uh, to global splintering what what's uh, david what's your take on that Yeah, there's no doubt that we're just we're, we're living through something right now. And obviously, I come at this from the emerging technologies perspective. Um, you know, as I was reading uh, Robert Scoble's um, Twitter feed today, I know Rao's a huge fan of his as well. And he was essentially saying it's hard to sleep right now because there's so much happening um, in AI and in machine learning. And that's that's the way I feel. I mean, we, it, it appears we are at the beginnings of an intelligence explosion, just with profound consequences for the economy, for the culture, for our collective lives, our political lives. Um, and I'm so interested to get into some of the geopolitical implications 
of that. I mean, it 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 it's huge, and we're just at the beginnings of figuring it out. Are my are my top line thoughts on it? Um, but Ash, I think you were talking a bit about Real Vision and its promotion before um, before D jumped in. Yeah, it, right now it's uh, we're obviously we're running a special. I like a lot of people on this conversation have probably watched Real Vision content. If you're not currently a member, come and check it out. $20.14 for three months. Uh, it's obviously a great deal and a significant discount from the usual price. So come on in uh, and check it out if you're not already a member. Uh, guys, I, let me just sort of tee it up uh, broadly and maybe we could just go around uh, again and get a bit of context from each one of you on what you think the current state of play uh, in the world is. How would you describe at the 50,000 foot what we're seeing right now? Obviously, there are a lot of uh, significant news stories. We talked about some of them at the top of the show that are, you know, threatening uh, to break onto the surface here in a more significant way. Uh, so, so Brent, first to you, what are your thoughts on on the overall state of the world right now? Well, so I guess the the, the first word that kind of comes to mind is precarious, right? Um, doesn't mean that necessarily something is going bad going to happen, but I feel like the table is set that if something does go wrong, a multitude of factors could potentially go wrong all at the same time. And the way I kind of liken it is, uh, you know, if anybody has ever played sports before, as long as you're winning, you don't really have too many problems with the other people on the team, right? But the minute you lose a couple games and maybe you start getting into a slump, now you don't really like the way that guy passed you the ball, right? Or you don't really like the way that that guy you know, called that timeout at that certain point, point in the game. And you start kind of nitpicking all of these little things that didn't matter when you were winning, but now that you're losing, they start festering. And it's kind of the same thing too when, you know, when everybody's making money, there's no real problems, right? And you're, you, you don't mind if somebody turns in a little bit bigger expense report and you don't really mind if, you know, you don't close every deal. But then as the economy starts to turn down and you're not making money anymore, now you start focusing on those expense reports and, you know, closing that deal becomes a little bit more important. And I kind of feel like that's where we're at now because, you know, for, for a long time, the world was globalizing and we were in a very long bull market and we had interest rates going lower and that provided a lot of cushion for a lot of things, you know, and not only did it uh, provide... Um, the ability to make money, but it allowed a lot of other things to, to take place because people didn't have to focus so hard on making money. Uh, you know, whether it's culture or, 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 you know, politics or whatever it is. But now that that, you know, interest rates have started to rise, you know, globalization has kind of hit, hit that into the pendulum and is kind of starting to swing back the other way. And I feel like everything is just on the verge of a big battle whether you're talking about politics or social movements or finance or military alignments or geopolitical trade unions. And I, I feel like everybody's kind of looking over their shoulder and, and just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And, and I don't know what the catalyst will be. All I know is that it's set perfectly that if a catalyst does come along, we can kind of have all of these different things, politics, religion, you know, economics, so social movements kind of all run into the intersection at the exact same time. And I feel like it could just be a real big mess when that happens. So 
that that's that, that's so without putting too big of a doom and gloom um, you know bow on top of it that that's kind of my 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 view of the world right now hey everyone we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners we'll be right back when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brent, uh, that is the the metaphor of the decade. I love it. Uh, when the team is winning, nobody complains about how you pass them the ball. Uh, but the minute that something underneath the surface begins to go wrong, the teams start losing. Suddenly, all of those little things that didn't seem like they matter suddenly move to the forefront uh, and very much matter indeed. It looks like Ral Powell has just joined us. Hey, well, Ral, how you doing, man? Do you want to just go around the room? Can you hear I'm me? happy to. And I think that you're exactly. Um, I think that the thing that that really um, impresses itself upon me is that all of these changes have happened at the same time, as you say. And that means the way I read that is that we're in a different kind of regime. We're in a different um, reality than we were. And I, I think it's it's not just these single things, interest rates or or structural inflation or, or what have you. I think that, that we, it's, it's a change of, 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 uh, of an era almost. And I think your observations are exactly right that it's much more troubling to people. But I think that in itself is actually a part of the causal chain and, and maybe even a causal loop. And I think that one way to look at this is that it has to do with the complexity of the global environment. And, you know, one of the really interesting things about uh, science in the in the late 20th century was how much we discovered about complex systems as we got larger computer uh, models and more computer power and how they create order and disorder on their own and their feedback loops and hidden links and unintended unexpected consequences and there's a, an inherent in unstableness or fragility as, as certain conditions come up and they, you get these tipping points and cascading phenomena and so forth and I think that that's that has essentially created a uh, a level of uncertainty that human beings find it very difficult to live with. And uh, markets, you know, are human constructs and, and uh, society is a human construct. So emotional valence, the emotional response that we have to these things has very real world effects. And I would go as far as to say that the, the complexity and the, and, and the uncertainty, radical uncertainty, by radical I mean that the near future looks less and less like the recent past, uh, is actually making people to some extent deranged and even delusional. And it affects the way they act. That causes more unpredictability and therefore it, 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 it just strengthens the cycle. Dee, are you able to hear me right now? Dee, can you hear me? I think we may be having some problems uh, with the connection uh, there, unfortunately, with D. Snyder. Hopefully, we'll get that cleared up in just a Anybody second. Anybody else want to pick that up, David? Um, Ralph Pell, welcome, man. How are you doing? Good. I think D. just passed it over to David. David's thought on change and exponential change and everything that's going on within this construct, I think, is interesting. 
Dee, just I'm not sure if you can hear, but you keep cutting out a bit. I think we're working on Dee's connection right now, Raul. Hopefully he'll be able to rejoin in just a second. Um, but why don't you go ahead, uh, Raul? I know uh, you have a lot to say, obviously, on this page. No, I was going to pass him across to David first. Dee, pass it across to David. That was his last thing. So, David, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can go. I, ju I just think yeah. the, the problem, Raul, is that Dee can't hear. For some reason, Dee can't hear Ash. Yeah. So he can't hear Ash's moderation. But yeah, I'm certainly happy to add add some thoughts to that. I mean, I would echo the the thoughts we've heard so far. I think, you know, my, my picture from 50,000 feet, um, as you asked for, Ash, is, look, I, I think we've lived um, for a few decades inside what you might call a liberal fantasy that we can progress towards a world that is free from conflict. We can progress towards some kind of universal shared liberal nirvana and that in fact technology will help us progress to that universal shared conflict-free utopia where we all agree <clears throat> on the best condition um, for our collective lives and the right way to go about organizing our society we're we're getting some very hard lessons now in how that is just never the case it never has been the case in human history and and it just won't ever be humans are just too complex too variegated too too um, contradictory to ever settle on one agreed form of life and technology if anything only sort of accentuates those tendencies the most powerful force on the planet is about to be super intelligence and the huge question is and it's a very destabilizing question who gets there first and what kind of super intelligence do they build and what values and what forms of life and forms of thinking is um, sort of instantiated and manifested in that super intelligence and we're going to have a a, a global race a, a kind of arms race or a new kind of arms race to get there um, and look this is where geopolitics comes in and i know we're here to talk about that partly that race will depend upon compute power. Uh, one of the big stories we, we read about in the last few days is, you know, Biden finally signing this act saying you can't invest in Chinese AI companies, Chinese chip makers. He, he just wants to make it much harder for China to get there first. Um, that's going to be a huge new nexus of conflict. We're all in, we're all kind of obsessed with two movies right now. One's about Barbie, one's about the race to the atom bomb. We're about to, we're having a race to superintelligence. It has profound geopolitical consequences. It's a nexus of conflict, obviously absolutely fascinating for someone like me, but huge and sometimes scary implications. That is, I guess, a part, a big part of my view from 50,000 feet. Um, back to you, Ash. David, that's, that's so well said, and, and thank you so much uh, for giving us that context. And I think that very much captures the spirit of the moment that we're in right now. Let me just test the connection real quick. Dee, can you hear me? I still think I still think Dee's having some challenges. Uh, go I'll, ahead, Ralph. I'll, I'll go, Ash. So I want to tie together a lot of what everybody's saying and simplify it down. We are going through one of the fastest most uncertain periods of change in all human history. And this is not going to stop. And it's driven by the multipolar world and the competition that has developed within it 
And as David said, it's it's for compute, it's for oil, it's for data, it's for control, it's for so many things. And it's all happening at the same time that we are having to deal with a breakdown of, of um, decover this at length a lot in A World on a Brink, which was uh, the multi-part documentary series he made for us at Real Vision, which is mind-blowing. And a lot in this is like, not only is the institutional infrastructure of the world changing, we're losing faith in the institutions and we will end up rebuilding them, but we've got this pace of technology changing where suddenly humans are not the only people who possess knowledge, which is something David's talked about, to the very system of money itself. And all of these things are happening. And, you know, I'd throw in, if we want to add in scare stories, but also inspiring stories, because that all of these things are inspiring and scary, is what are nation states going to do with, with gene editing and AI? <laughs> What's going to happen when quantum computing? All of these are coming, not like 20 years time, they're all coming over the next five to 10 years. So the scale of change that humanity is going to have to deal with is going to be really, really hard because these are all exponentials as well. They're not just a subtle general change where some superpower takes some extra space in the world. That's not what we're dealing with here. Every single fabric of our lives are changing. How we operate, how we talk to each other, how we communicate, how we move around, how we process information, everything is changing. So at a very macro level, what a time to be alive. Terrifying and exciting all at the same time. Raul, what do you see some of the potential upsides being? Uh, Raul, well D as here. Um, hey, D. Hey, how are you? Good to, good good to hear friend. you. Good to hear you always. So um, <clears throat> I would say that there is another level of, 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 you know, mega change that we're facing. And it has to do with the environment. And I know people have lots of different ideas about climate change, but we haven't seen entire towns and villages and even cities burned down until very recently. There was one in Canada a couple of years ago, much smaller. And then Lahaina is a, is an, was an important city. And, uh, you know, these sorts of things that are highly unexpected uh, are, are also go going to impact this, this concatenation, whatever word you want to use, of change that we're facing. And, um, you know, the, the resource question um, that is driven both by resource availability and also by, um, by conflict, um, food, uh, all of these things are, are another element that's in, in addition to uh, the kinds of things that, that you mentioned, which are all, all absolutely there. And, um, and I think that, you know, I would go back, I don't know if you could hear what I was saying, but I think that so, social fragmentation and disintegration that we're seeing is, is partly a consequence of the rapid level of change and the emotional instability that it causes in people. And that, that then reflects in the choices they make in terms of markets, in terms of geopolitics, in terms of all of these factors. So it's, it's like a feedback, it's like a massive feedback loop. Yeah, that's slightly scary. <laughs> slightly, yeah. Raul, do you see any potential upside uh, to all this stuff that we're seeing? I mean, I know that you are very positive and very constructive about the potential role of AI, gene editing, uh, you know, quantum computing, superconductivity that sort of always threatens to be breaking out but doesn't. I know you're very bullish and very constructive on a lot of these technologies. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, 
and then we'll be right back. Look, I'm, I'm very bullish on all of it and what it could mean for mankind, but change is what the hard part is and how we navigate that change. If it makes us super productive human beings and gives us more free time and does a bunch of things, okay, that's interesting. But also, as Dee says, the, these kind of frictions, what it creates for people is hard. So it is going to be a very scary time. Um, I think in the end, it comes like everything with good things and bad things. Good things is humans will live longer, humans will live healthier, humans can be more productive, they might have more free time, they'll be able to do things that we've never been, deemed possible before. I mean, if you lower the cost of energy and increase productivity by AI and quantum computing, it's a completely different world. What is possible is extraordinary. Dee, do you mind putting yourself on mute? Um, so I think that is an extraordinary world, but the downside is dealing with change, the potential for conflict, we're already seeing it, all of that, it's, 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 it's going to be volatile. It's, there's no other way around it. But, and, you know, how far AI goes, I mean, David and I have talked a long time about, you know, do we get to some sort of singularity event? Where does that lead to? You know, what happens if you have energy costs that are massively cheaper and compute massively cheaper and massively faster what happens to AI and what happens, how do humanity fit into that? You know, the robots too. So there's a lot to be excited about, a lot to be terrified about. Yeah. It, it is what it is. We just have to deal with Sounds it. Good. David, hey, what are you? Could David, I, could I jump it? This is Brent. Could I, could I yeah, jump something on, on, on the tail of that? So, you know, I, I think as I set up at the beginning, you know, I, I see the world as a very precarious place, but I, I would also encourage everyone not to be too overly super bearish. And while I definitely lean in that direction, I also think it's important to understand that it might not go that way, right? Because of these advancements and, you know, AI and, you know, the, the, the potential growth aspects from it. And, and if we can potentially get some kind of a new energy source or transportation system that, you know, revolutionizes the efficiency and the cost and all that kind of stuff, it could actually be very good, right? Um, yeah, I'm kind, to, of, I'm kind of that way around. I think right. humanity figures out the complexity. It's just going to be a bit messy on route. Well, so and it, it's, very, it's funny because I, I hadn't really thought of the whole Barbie and Oppenheimer thing and, and how it's so perfectly kind of reflects the real world right now, right? It's like art imitating life. On the one hand, it's the age of, you know, celebrity and social media and being famous for being famous and very, you know, all a bunch of fluff. But then on the other hand, you know, we do have this new technology that could revolutionize things and push the world forward, but could also blow the place up, right? And it's, <laughs> that, that, that's exactly kind of what Barbie and Oppenheimer is about. But, but I guess the point I, would, I, I wanted to make is that even though all this stuff is very scary, and even though I tend to believe that we are going to have some kind of a crisis as we go through this fourth turning, right, that kind of encapsulates all of this, I, I, I don't think that you can also just move to the sidelines, you know, move to a mountaintop in Montana and come back in 10 years. Because 
I literally think the world might pass you by in those 10 years. <laughs> and the world you come back to 10 years from now may look radically different. And potentially, again, this is not necessarily my, my, my core stance, but potentially radically better. Right. And so I don't think you bet everything on the crisis. I think you prepare for the crisis. I think you understand the factors that could cause it to happen and, you know, have some protection in case it does. But, you know, there's it, it could go the other way, I, I guess, is the, the, the point that you, I would encourage everybody to, to keep an open mind to. David, which way do you think it goes? Yeah, I I fundamentally am um, optimistic that, as I think you are, Raoul, that we we find ways through what is going to be, um, along some dimensions, a, a, a terrifically turbulent, difficult set of transformations. I mean, like you said, we have a constellation of technologies emerging um, that are going to sort of smash us into uh, multiple exponential changes all at once. And so much of it, you know, as we've talked about endlessly, and I've written about in GMI is is underlain by, um, by, by intelligence, by, by, by the abundance of a new form of intelligence, and that is machine intelligence. And it's, it's just going to be transformational in ways that we find very difficult to, to understand at the moment. I think we're going to see value creation, the like of which we've never seen across the last two, three decades. I mean, like you said, AI is going to be just this sort of deflationary mega bomb across the economy. It's going to enable productivity gains, or it's likely to enable productivity gains that are absolutely astounding. You know, and we're going to start to see that play out across, for example, as you mentioned, the life sciences. You know, we're starting to see that soon. And perhaps we'll get a chance to talk about that later. But it's going to create a wave of social uh, and geopolitical um, fractiousness and destabilization that we're going to have to contend with. I suspect some form of crisis event will, will come of that. But we, we were, we're just wonderfully adaptable creatures and we'll find a way to adapt and the promise in sight is of a world that is for billions of people just just radically better i mean you know as we as we've talked about Raul, what, what can we do when when the marginal cost of electricity is essentially zero you know we, we can build that world endless pretty much infinite clean energy what can we do with that um these are huge questions. There's going to be a period of instability, but I think we get to the other side of it with a world that that is much better for most people. Yeah. Dee, what do you think? Dee, do you think this is a positive, <laughs> negative? How, how do you navigate this? You know, I, I see it as both. Um, I, I certainly don't discount what David's saying as a possibility, but I also would caution about the number of things that can go wrong. Um, you know, there are some people like Pippa Malmgren, who also does a lot with Real Vision, who believe World War III has already begun. And uh, I think that there's a uh, possibility that that's correct. Uh, we don't see the conflict in Ukraine, for example, uh, as, as winding down. Um, we don't see the, the potential conflicts between the U.S. and China and between the U.S. and its allies in uh, East Asia and China winding down. We see the opposite. Uh, and I think that, that uh, you know, we're in this period of, of global split. 
which is very dangerous uh, because it brings back the politics of balance of power. And that's what led to World War I and World War II, where you have um, lots of different powers and the balance is very fragile. And I think that we also have these structural problems uh, like migration. Um, you know, there's somewhere north of 70 million uh, displaced peoples, both internally in countries and, and, and moving between countries. Now, that number may triple or quadruple by the end of the decade. And what do you do with all those people? And so, you know, I think that I, I agree with, with the idea that there's no problem we have that we can't solve. I also am concerned with the path from getting, of getting from here to there. And I'll, I'll bring up one other thing, which is food and, uh, and, and, and water would be, uh, you know, you could include it in it or look at it separately. But, you know, in the U.S., for example, we waste 30 to 40 percent of our food and yet 800 million people go hungry. And, uh, you know, it, it's it, a lot of getting to the world that David's talking about is going to require living a different way so that we, for example, don't waste 30 to And so that's, you know, that is a, uh, I, I just, I, I just look at this through the lens, you know, that I'm, I'm, of course, that's my job is to, is to look at risk and threats. And, um, and so I, I tend to be oriented in that direction, uh, but I agree we can get through it. I just, I, I'm concerned about tipping points between here and there, um, you know, of which the most, um, you know, the most radical would be existential nuclear war being the obvious one but bio error bioterror all these things that have been mentioned um there it's not going to be an easy path to navigate i don't want to be downer but <laughs> that's how i see it no brent i want to pull you in here about how does the the financial world fit into this in terms of the currency the change of reserve currencies i know you talk about this a lot, but it's part yeah. of this very big picture. So do you want to give us a bit of a run through of that and how that all fits in? Yeah. So I think, you know, as I said at the very beginning, you know, I think part of this whole deglobalization and confrontation kind of go together. Um, and I do not. I, I, so if you look at the way the monetary system is designed and don't have time to go into all the details of it, but it says because it's a debt-based system, it has to grow. If it doesn't grow, then it crashes That on, on a very basic level. And so, you know, we've gotten to this point where based on the, the growth that we have now, based on the types of energy and technology that we have now, growth is no longer enough to kind of outrun the debt, right? And as a result, the whole global growth is slowing. And, you know, interest rates are starting to rise. And so it's throwing this whole system into, you know, potential crisis. The only way, in my opinion, to, to get it, to, you know, to not have this crisis is to grow out of it. So, again, as we said, if, if because of this new technology that, that we're having, we are somehow able to turbo boost global growth, at a level that is greater than the cost of the debt, then we can continue on without a crisis. But barring that, then I think there is going to be a crisis. And I, and I think there's been a lot of talk over the last, let's just call it decade, 
you could probably go back further than that, about a transition to a new monetary system. And, it, and that is often you know, equated with the dollar no longer being the global reserve currency. And the, the point that I've tried to make to people is not necessarily that the dollar will always be the global reserve currency. It probably will not be. They, they, you know, they, they, these things typically don't last. However, I do not see a way to transition from this system to another system that is not hyper volatile economically and that is probably not possible without military action. So, in other words, if the system were to move away from the dollar, that process would be extremely hard because that would mean that the whole world would have to deleverage. And we all know from history that governments don't like to deleverage, right? There's so much pain that goes along with deleveraging that they just don't want to do it. But that's what the rest of the world would have to do if they were to to de-dollarize. So I don't think they have the ability to de-dollarize without creating incredible volatility economically. And then the second part is if they did somehow figure out a way to de-dollarize and de-leverage without super economic volatility, I don't think that the US as the current hegemon would just sit back and let it happen. (laughs) I think they would try to reinforce their position as the hegemon and keep their role as the global superpower. So I I cannot figure out a way that we go from a current monetary system to some new monetary system that either isn't chaotic or that doesn't still have the U.S. kind of sitting at the top of the pyramid. And I think all of that stuff is going to happen. You know, I think so. so And this is why I think we are going to have some kind of a crisis. Now, whether this happens tomorrow or five years from now, you know, I'm not smart enough to know that. I just, you know, I, I just think that that's where we're headed. The other big battle that we haven't talked about is the battle of the kind of authoritarian centralization battle versus decentralization in this world. And that's another huge battle we're seeing, whether it's in cryptocurrencies or whether it's over the control of AI, is who controls this world. And it's not just about nation states, it's about individuals as well. So it feels that that's another battleground in this yep. fourth turning that's yet to be proven out. Totally I, I don't know. I don't know totally how that goes either, but it's all part of the same thing, right? There's a huge battle for the new structure. This, you know, what does the new global world order look like at the end of all of this? Well, yeah, that's you- what I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like on a global basis, we are going to be decentralizing, right? We're not going to be one unified global supply chain or you know happy family we're going to go back towards you know regions or individual countries or state powers and less cooperation but i also feel like in within each country i feel like power is going to get more centralized and i think this is going to happen because as countries come under threat you know as the governments or the organizations the institutions themselves come under threat i think that they are going to try at least at least try to centralize power. So on the one hand, I see on the big picture decentralization globally, but I feel like we're going to have concentration of power internally you know, in, in nation states. And so, and so that, that causes all kinds of social issues as well. Uh, you know, it's not just economic, it's not just uh, political. Um, so, so, you know, again, we get back to the singularity of all these different things running into the same intersection at the same time. 
Dee, how do you see the world play out? Does it centralise power, decentralised power, both at nation state level and individual <coughs> level? How, how are you viewing this? I, you know, I, I think that Brent's observations were just right on the mark uh, on, uh, across the board um, uh, in, in terms of, uh, of his issues about about debt and, and de-dollarization and so forth. In terms of, of sovereignty um, and in terms of centralization and decentralization, I think that there are, as, as with so many things right now, two very powerful moving forces. One is, is the, the global splintering into these, um, into these essentially uh, um, you know, spheres of influence, and you can see them forming um, there's, you know, there's one developing between China and Russia, which Russia will probably be a vassal state of China if it stays together, which is a, another big question. Um, you can see it, uh, you know, the U.S. forming a whole new set of alliances. There's the AUKUS, the, um, the Quad in the, in the Indo-Pacific and so forth. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you can also see the effects of, uh, of the Ukraine war is what, you know, he wanted to, to uh, you know, to try to destroy NATO, and what he did is make NATO great again. I mean, Putin, and so I, I think that you're seeing a, uh, and it depends on the scale that you're looking at. In 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 a way, um, you're seeing a central. It, it's it's what Brent was saying, but I would apply it even larger. That you're seeing these these um, various groups of nations come together and coalesce around certain ideas, values, political systems. And, and coalesce in opposition to one another. Uh, and so that's what I meant when I mentioned that it's a very dangerous state of affairs. It's called balance of power in foreign, pol- in foreign policy and, uh, or in geopolitics. And, and it, because the balance is fragile, it, 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 it can very easily lead to war. And, you know, honestly, I, I think that, uh, that we're, we're seeing that kind of thing happening, uh, you know, where the world is heading towards war. Nationalism is always a, a precursor of war. But there's also within nations so much dis, um, disarray uh, in terms of, of people with diametrically opposite values and, and ideas. And this is not just the U.S. It certainly is the U.S., but it's in every country in Europe and it's in countries like India and Egypt and i been to these places, talk to people, and they, you know, there is uh, a, a very serious divide. It's not always 50-50. Sometimes it's into multiple, in, into multiple pieces, but it is, um, it, it's really pulling these countries apart. So I, I think this is one reason why this is not a, a place we've been before, uh, because you've got both centrifugal and centripetal forces at work at the same time. And it's, it's highly complex and highly volatile, and it's very difficult to, to have any assurance that a country like Russia, for example, will actually stay together. And even the U.S., you know, I would not put it off the charts at all that we have um, political violence within the U.S. coming up to, uh, in, the, in the next election cycle. So, you know, I, I think, again, it's the, the complexity and the unpredictability of it which has um, just gone off the charts and and it makes it very much more likely that the kinds of things that Brent was talking about are actually going to happen. And the problem with that is that once they start to happen, it's hard to put the brakes on them. 
and uh, particularly inter international conflict. And the other thing I would add, you know, to that last thing I would add is that we're not just dealing with nations that are sometimes not well glued to uh, and, and conflicts between nations. We're dealing with non-state actors, um, which are increasingly powerful. And, uh, and, you know, those range from cartels to, you know, organizations like ISIS or, or uh, you don't hear much about it right now, but um, uh, Hezbollah and so forth. These, these non-state actors that have become real power players, um, Latin America is being beset by uh, a whole range of, of uh, 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 you know, real serious um, uh, destabilization driven by a lot of non-state actors. So, yeah, you know, it's just, it's become a, 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 uh, a situation that's almost more complex than we can, can apprehend. Um, yeah, it's slightly terrifying. David, You've also looked at this trend of centralization, decentralization, written about, you know, the trends in AI and how we've got kind of the battle between, let's say, open AI and people like Stability and others. We've seen it in decentralized computing power, cryptocurrencies, and even decentralized energy grids. How are you thinking of that trend of decentralization versus whether it's mega corporations or, or state level stuff? Yeah, I think, I think, the, this polarity, centralization and decentralization, is just fundamental to so much that's going on. And there's a few. I mean, there's a few things I'd say about it. It's picking up on some of the the the, uh, the stuff that was just talked about. Uh, I think we're about to see. First is I think we're about to see just an intense competition between two models of organizing a society. If you look at what's happening in China. They're building a highly centralized form of techno-authoritarianism, essentially, the like of which we've never seen before. And they're doing that by leveraging, by taking control of their technology sector. And we've seen them do that, seen the CCP do that across the last couple of years, last few years. Take control of your technology sector and roll out, roll out an absolutely vast network of AI and facial recognition technologies that just tracks every citizen and who they are and what they're doing and where on the street they are and what they're doing in front of their screens at all times. Um, just totally AI-fueled centralised control of 1.4 billion people. I mean, that's simplistic, but that, that's the model. Um, and the challenge for the global north is that that might turn out across many dimensions to be the most effective form of governance and the most efficient way of organising a society we've ever seen. I mean, it's a very commonplace observation, but I'll make it again very quickly. You know, the, 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 the problem with authoritarianism historically is that the people at the centre of power in the end just can't process enough information and just can't keep track of what's going on fast enough and well enough to operate efficiently but now you don't have to have people at the center processing information you can have intelligence machine intelligence at the center processing information what does that do to make highly highly centralized authoritarian forms of government possible and as you know liberal democracies in the global north um, fray and are fractious and face all this economic turbulence there will be, I fear, an increasing tendency to look over to that model and 
and notice the ways that it's operating more effectively and more efficiently. And we, we, we risk that, or there is a danger that that adds to the ways in which liberal democracies fray and people lose patience with them and people start to yearn for something more centralised and we, we sort of lose touch with our, uh, in the global north, with, with, with the legacy of pluralism and democracy that we built over, over the course of centuries. Um, that is one big sort of mega trend I see approaching and it's a destabilising mega trend. Um, I talked at the beginning, the second big thing I'd say is, you know, I talked at the beginning about how the uh, the most powerful force on the planet is about to be superintelligence. Um, and there's a huge discussion to be had about who we allow to build and control that. Uh, and then what values are are manifested in it. Um what I love about stability AI is that they're for a world where, okay, if we're going to have this incredibly powerful new form of intelligence, uh, it should be decentralized. We should decentralize the ability to sort of build and control and, and work with it. And, and different communities should be able to build their own intelligence agents um, that manifest their own values and beliefs and forms of life and i think that is that is the, the the sort of a million ais can bloom sort of future that that i would like to see emerge but again the danger is that a few highly centralized powerful actors you know i mean microsoft open ai the, the ccp build um all conquering super intelligence that just uh, that just imposes its values on on the rest of us, um, and in that way, essentially, sort of erodes, if not destroys, uh, the democracies in the global north, at least that we that we live in. Uh, so there's going to be a contest there between highly centralized forms of intelligence and decentralized, for, sort of ground up um, AI by and for the people forms of forms of intelligence so David, um, and there's no way of knowing which way that's going to go yet which I'm, I'm going to ask to everybody as well is let's zoom in now to a shorter time horizon how the fuck are we going to get through a US election yeah with terrifying the, with we're, AI. Not. we're not <laughs> okay <laughs> okay David you go first uh, and then we'll kind of go through everybody because this is what terrifies me more than all things is you throw AI into the mix and you have no understanding of what is real, what is not. What does that do for people at a human level when you can trust nothing, not a media outlet, not a source of truth, nothing? Um, yeah. David, I mean, how do you think about that? I mean, terrifying. And, you know, again, as we've talked about before, uh, Raoul, we are yet really to come to terms with the impacts of Web 2.0 technologies um, you know, 30, 20, 30 year old technologies now, 20 years old, I guess, are on our on our politics. You know, we are still talking about and holding sort of Senate committees about and deliberating and trying to legislate for, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter or X now um, and its impact on our collective lives and our political lives. So the idea that we ha can do anything meaningful um, in the in the time frame allowed to, to sort of uh, 
to at all ameliorate the impact that generative AI and AI is about to have on this election cycle is is just clearly is, is not going to happen. And what you're going to have is just a whole ton of deep fakes, a whole ton of misinformation uh, and great. And, and that, uh, that makes it impossible for anyone to know what is genuine and what is not. I mean, the, own, the, the sort of, you know, there are some glimmers of hope there. Um, it, it probably is the case that, uh, as others have observed, you know, that the, the big challenge for anyone who really wants to, 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 to misinform people, to spread disinformation, is not the creation of the disinformation, it's the distribution, it's building the audience, it's getting it out there and making it go viral. Um, you know, can, gener can AI, can these generative AI tools really help you with that? Well, perhaps not so much. But, you know, we're still going to get an absolute shit ton of content that's just false um, confusing, that's misleading, you know, it's going to be produced domestically, it's probably going to be produced by external actors too. Um, we're bumping up against limits in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of ways, technologies are bumping us up against a set of fundamental limits in this century. And one of the one of the fundamental limits we're bumping up against is we're doing 19th century politics. We're doing a, a 19th century version of liberal democracy in a 21st century now machine intelligence world. And I just don't I just not sure it functions anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I, I hate <laughs> okay. to be doom and gloom, but, no, but uh, I, you know, I, 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 this, see, this I, I think profound thing that... change is going to have to come in the way we, we manage we manage Brent, our politics. Yeah, yeah. You were straight in there saying no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, listen, um, <laughs> I do not think there is any way. I mean, there's nothing certain in life, right? But I do, I, I do not see how it's possible that we have an election next year and the losing side accepts it, whichever side that is. If, if somehow Donald Trump wins, there is no way the Democrats will accept it. And if Biden wins again or whoever runs, there is no way the Republicans will accept it. So I think, and, and the thing is, is <laughs> this is gonna go a little bit off script here, is a lot of times what we talk about is you know, finance and money and economics and how, how are we gonna profit from all this either madness or innovation, right? But I, I really think that one of the most important investments that people can make over the next year is their personal relationships with people that they don't necessarily agree with. And, and, I, and I, I don't say that to be funny. I, like I'm, I'm actually being extremely serious because I think that is going to be the biggest challenge over the next 18 months is the social aspect of it. And I think you're going to have to, if, if you want to get through it, I think you're going to have to learn to talk with people that you don't agree with. <laughs> and I think you're going to have to learn to, to, you know, um, deal with or live in a world that you don't necessarily personally 100% agree with without losing your mind and keeping some form of sanity. And so I think, you know, in today's world, especially with all the hot takes and the Twitter and, you know, the social media and the, the deep fakes and this outrage and, you know, the age of outrage, I, I think you're going to have to learn to keep your head. <laughs> and, and I know I'm kind of joking, but I'm really serious. Like, I think that is going to be one of the most important things. So, you know, I think you've got to really work on your own community and whether that's a community like Real Vision that helps you kind of see through the, the madness or whether it's your family members or the, the community which in which you physically live in. Like, I think that's going to be a very important investment that, that people make over the next year. Normally I, the family members are the epicenter of the madness. No, no exactly. <laughs> and, and listen, I mean, 
I disagree with a lot of my family members, right? And, you know, but, you know, if we don't figure out how to, how to kind of live with each other, then the, 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 the opposite is not good, right? But that's kind of where it's headed. So um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say on it other than D, that. Dee, what that. do you think? What do you think about the election? You're always pretty astute on this stuff. You know, um, I would go back, first of all, to the the quote that you'll remember we used in Real Vision from E.O. Wilson, uh, which is that we've created a, a Star Wars civilization of Stone Age emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And I think that goes to to what um, both David and Brent were saying, which is that we're coming up against some limits. And that I think is is uh, is the is the fundamental thing. I think we've created a world that's changing technologically and socially more rapidly than we can adapt as humans, and that our systems can adapt, and that possibly even the planetary biological system can adapt. And so I think that that, 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 that you know again is I I don't know how much of what I said at the beginning everybody heard, but I think that there's a uh, a fundamental level at which the level of change and the pace of change and the scope of change are, are driving us in a way insane. And so people, when that happens, they hearken back to, they want stability and they, they hearken to a, a simplified version of the, of the belief systems that they have. And so that begins to fracture societies into things that have an excluded middle. Um, and to put it in the terms Aristotle would say, where the, you know you have people on one side and people on the other, and very few who who, um, uh, who will at least admit that they're um, that they're they see both sides. And so, while I agree a hundred percent with what Brent has said, I'm I'm skeptical and um, depressed about the uh, our ability to do that in the current situation. And I think that the the AI aspects and the and the disinformation and misinformation and deep fakes and all that are are, are going to um, are going to simply empower what's already going on. And it, this is a nexus point, I think, in, in a lot of ways. And I think I guess it was David that said that at the beginning. We're at a nexus point in a bunch of ways right now. Um, and 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 the U.S. election is going to be kind of the pinnacle of that nexus point. And I'm really concerned about it. I'm very concerned about social violence um, uh, with what happens. I think that it's correct that either side is not going to accept that the other side wins, even if it's a landslide. Um, you know, we averted the worst of it the last time. I'm, I'm very concerned about it this time. I wish someone would get the messages out that, that Brent mentioned about you know trying to have more consilience, trying to you know see the other side of things, but it's just not the way the the spirit of the times is going. So I'm I'm really concerned about it. I'm concerned about it all the, across the the spectrum from messaging, uh, and I do think there are lots of external actors who would love nothing more than to see the the uh, the you know entire superstructure of American democracy collapse. Uh, and a lot of those are state level actors and uh, they have a lot of resources to throw at it. And um, uh, and there are non-state actors that also are at play. And so I, I'm, I'm really concerned that um, we're we're not prepared 
for um, what's coming down the pike. If the train is heading straight for us. We can see the headlights of it, and it, and it is it is heading straight for us. And I'm not sure what the um, what the what the what a actionable solution would be to it. I, I can see that you know I can see how you could do it, but I I can't see how you implement it in a way that is going to ameliorate enough of this rancor and this you know hatred of the of, of when both sides um when they they both res, uh, regard the other as evil not just wrong but evil then you've got a real problem and you know there's been a lot of research in the last few years about about human decision making and human perception and it, the the one one of the net nets out of it is that we're built for trust not for truth and so we we create communities and those communities we then give them our trust and so that unfortunately it can work for you but it can also work against you when you have highly polarized communities and that's where we are and technology has hugely empowered that by allowing us to find people who agree with us and um and and get into these little bubbles and so you know it's just it's it's not a good situation any way you look at it. No, listen, guys, this has been a truly extraordinary conversation. I didn't quite imagine it was going to be this good, and it feels like we should do another one of these. But a few just pointers here is like um, Dee made a series on Real Vision called "The World on the Brink." It's I think the best thing we ever did. It's five hours long, five part documentary that was several years ago, like 2017, that forecast all of this um and it is an extraordinary watch so look there's a link here so make sure look three minutes of, three months of real vision for the special price of twenty dollars and 14 please go just to watch that series brent has always also been on the platform since day one um and has brought the dollar milkshake theory to life in real time via real vision and then explosively all over the world brent's been an amazing commentator you get a lot from him david works with me at uh global macro investor plus does a whole bunch of other stuff he's one of the single best commentators in the entire technology space and as you can tell incredibly thoughtful he presents on the exponential age on real vision again he's there to help you navigate through this massive change with technology and that's all we're trying to do at real vision is help you all navigate through such extraordinary times and it is as we've all talked about we're going to go to even more extraordinary times than we ever could imagine. And this is where Real Vision tries to be a trusted source of broad, deep thinking, interesting conversations to get you on that journey from just information into knowledge and wisdom that you're going to need to navigate these times. So listen, the link below, we're about to close the doors on Real Vision subscriptions as we just launch our entirely new platform experience. So I think it closes end of this week or today or something like that. So make sure you get that three-month trial because there's a, a lot of content that's going to help you with it. And this is the kind of quality of conversations that they're... Ash, anything from you? Yeah, just just a, an extraordinary conversation, guys. This is uh, 
It sounds like the world's best science fiction novel or the world's worst election cycle, maybe both. Uh, I've been hanging back because we've been having some technical problems on the network here tonight. Uh, but what an extraordinary conversation. And just to pick up on some points that uh, everyone made, uh, this idea of uh, places, trusted sources, and community. Uh, Real Vision right now is going to be starting on, on August 15th. That's today, folks. We'll be closing the doors for new members while we put the final touches on our new Real Vision 2.0 platform. Uh, Raul, you and I have done a bunch of AMAs around it. It's pretty extraordinary, not just in its ability to convey information, but in its ability to connect community uh, and also some of the AI stuff we're doing under the hood. It's going to be pretty amazing uh, when that gets launched. But we are shutting the doors uh, today. But we want to give everyone who's listening to this conversation, which I think you know has been an extraordinary one, but is representative of the kind of conversations that we have on Real Vision, the opportunity to come in now for three months for $20.14. It's like six bucks a month. Uh, it's kind of a no-brainer if you're interested in hearing conversations like this. Uh, Ralph, uh, anything else to add? No, just thank you to everybody. It was just an epic conversation. It sounds like we should have done it over a glass of wine. We'll have to figure that out somewhere in the world together because uh, there's a lot to be done. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.